0: scripture tells us again and again and again and again. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. Scripture is absolutely clear. Jesus wasn't simply a good person. He wasn't simply an example of how to live. He was very God of very God who came into this world to die for our sin. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Today, of course, is Palm Sunday, and we're coming to that passage of Scripture, that is headed the triumphal entry. And so Matthew chapter 21 at verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her coat by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them, They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloak on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, The whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading of his holy word. Most of us are in agreement that spring can come any minute. Not tomorrow or the next day. By lunchtime, that would be perfect. And it is this natural time of the year when things begin to change. We're getting towards Easter. We are sensing that spring is coming. It came last weekend for a couple of days, took fright and left. But I'm reliably informed next Sunday, Easter Sunday, it will be 70 degrees. It won't get there till Saturday, but nonetheless, if it's 70 on Sunday, that will be fine of course as we look around flowers are blossoming we're seeing buds and trees plants are heading in the direction of coming to full bloom spring break is coming immediately after Easter and this is the time when we are really looking forward to Easter and all of the joys and the celebration and in the midst of all of that we celebrate Holy Week and Holy Week is an odd week. And I mean that very gently, In no way would I disrespect Holy Week. But it's odd in this sense. The weeks leading up to Christmas, we have Christmas carols, but no Easter carols. We have Christmas trees, but no Easter tree. We don't at this time of year pull out our decorations and our lights, and we don't buy each other gifts. Easter is very different from Christmas. And Holy Week is intentionally different. Several years ago, I was chatting to a mom here at First Prayer. She had a daughter who was somewhere around 15, 16 years old. They were working around the house doing chores together. And they got a little distracted in their conversation. And the teenager turned to her mom and said, Mom, is, is this Thursday Good Friday? is this Thursday, Good Friday? Now she knew it was significant, she knew it was different, but in the midst of being distracted and focusing on other things, she kind of slightly missed the point of what she was saying. Monday, Thursday is that special time of year when we have a Thursday evening service. We don't have it at any other time of year starts at seven o'clock. It will be here in the main sanctuary. It is probably the most moving service of our entire year because we try in our imagination to get back to that upper room. We try to imagine what it was like to be there and to be quiet and listen. Try and get a sense of the Significance and the gravitas of what took place, and when Matthew takes us into Palm Sunday, he talks about the disciples, the village of Bethpage. It's about twenty miles—excuse me—it's about twenty-minute walk from downtown Jerusalem down through the Kidron Valley. You can walk it today. It takes, as I said, about twenty minutes. But notice how Matthew begins. He begins, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village, you'll find a donkey and her coal there, and call and bring them here. And then he adds verse 4. Notice what it says. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, why does Matthew put that in there? Because he could have finished verse 3 with, If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. And then jump to verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. So why does he put in verse 4 and 5? And it begins, this took place to fulfill. Let me give you a quick reminder of Matthew's gospel, a thumbnail sketch if you like. And what we know about Matthew's gospel is this. Written around the year AD 60 to AD 70, to Christians living in the city of Antioch in Syria. Not only was he writing to folks in Antioch, Matthew writes in a way that would suggest they have a Jewish background. There is no lack of explanation, excuse me, rather, there is a lack of explanation of Jewish customs and the use of Jewish terminology. It gives Matthew's gospel a distinct Jewish connection to it, a real Jewish feel. In fact, Matthew quotes the Old Testament more than any other New Testament writer. He uses illustrations and allusions from the Old Testament. And he does it again here. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. Matthew goes on to highlight the ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah And in writing to folks with a Jewish background, as soon as the first Sunday they received Matthew's gospel, they would roll it out on a scroll and read it, and immediately they'd be sitting up, their ears would pick up. They'd be saying, the fulfillment of all that God had promised? But this Jesus, this Christ, he's the Messiah? That was the kind of questions that would be running through their mind. They know that when Matthew writes his genealogy, he highlights Jesus as a descendant of Abraham, the father of Judaism. When Luke writes his, he goes back to Adam, the father of all humanity. But not Matthew. He's writing to folks with a Jewish background. He wants them to understand that the eternal decrees, the purposes and plans of God from eternity past are now fulfilled in Christ. Matthew emphasizes again and again the role of Jesus as the son of David. The climax of all of God's eternal purposes and plans. That's what's going on right here. That's why he puts it in. Because he wants them to understand the significance of what is taking place. And the temptation for us on Palm Sunday is to focus on the donkey. Or focus on the children and the adults waving palm branches. But that's not the focus of Matthew's gospel. Matthew, quite intentionally, is taking his readers towards Jerusalem. And he's enabling them to grasp and understand all that he has written so far is moving in a single direction. In fact, in Matthew chapter 16, there's a passage of scripture that changes the focus of Matthew's gospel entirely. And it's the same with Mark and Luke, what is called the synoptic gospels. They see it through the same lens. And in Matthew 16, he records this. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and and that he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. In fact, Matthew several times says this, as he made his way to to jerusalem as he was approaching jerusalem as he entered into jerusalem and so if you're familiar with matthew's gospel you know that by the time you get to matthew chapter 21 there's a sense of expectation anticipation the climax is coming and it's the fulfillment of all that god has said in the past And that gives you a sense of flicking over the page. Matthew's gospel is unputdownable. You keep wanting to find out what's happening, what's coming. As Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he knew, of course, what was coming. And notice what happens as the passage develops. Verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna, the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And notice verse 10. Jesus entered Jerusalem the whole city was stirred and asked who is this who is this what is going on Matthew has been focusing on who Christ is throughout his gospel he tells us again and again that he would cure the lame, and the deaf, and the dumb. He brought Lazarus back to life. Jairus, the synagogue ruler's daughter, was brought back to life. Miracle after miracle after miracle, all moving towards the climax in Jerusalem. And because he tells us that Jesus set out for Jerusalem... He must go to Jerusalem to suffer and die at the hands of the chief priests and elders and teachers of the law. Matthew is powerfully reminding us of this. And please, I need you to get this this week of all weeks. Jesus did not primarily die because Pilate was a weak political leader who would not stand up to the Jewish authorities. That played a part the sovereign purposes and plans of God, it played a part, but it wasn't the primary cause. Neither was it the jealousy of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin. Yes, it played a part, but it wasn't the primary cause. What was the primary cause? The scripture tells us again and again and again and again. It was my sin. That held him there until it was accomplished. Scripture is absolutely clear. Jesus wasn't simply a good person. He wasn't simply an example of how to live. He was very God of very God who came into this world to die for our sin. That's what we sang about moments ago. That's what Matthew is telling us. That's why he brings it up again and again and again and again so his readers can get it and understand. And remember, this took place to fulfill what was spoken about him by the prophets. That's what's going on right there. He must go up to Jerusalem and suffer and die. The person who was the driving force behind Calvary was the love of Christ. He hung there willingly, gladly, for our sin. That's what was going on. And Matthew drives it home again and again and again. What else does the passage tell us? Well, it tells us this. That when Matthew says all this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. Do you remember another place when almost the exact same wording is used? It's the only two places in Matthew's gospel. It comes in chapter 1 verses 22 and 23. And we read and all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet The virgin will be with child, and she will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. That's what Matthew needs us to get. That's why he emphasizes it again and again and again. That's why Matthew tells us all this happened to fulfill the purposes of God. Folks, please hear this all of history past was moving unstoppably towards Calvary and Easter Sunday, and all of subsequent history flowed from Easter Sunday till the end of all eternity. That's what Matthew is telling us. It is so much greater so much more significance, feel and sense the gravitas, the focus is not on the donkey, it's not on the palm branches, it is so much greater. They play their part, but they point towards the identity of Christ. That's why when he arrives in Jerusalem, they say, who is this? Miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. Impacting lives. Transforming lives. That's the work of the gospel. Who is this? That's what's going on here. And the scriptures tell us again and again. That he was the bread of life. Yet was racked with hunger. He was the water of life yet he had to beg a Samaritan woman for a drink. He was the door into heaven, yet there was no room for him in the inn. He flung the stars into space and yet needed an oil lamp to light his room. He was adored by angels, called a devil by men. He formulated the laws of motion yet chose to ride on a donkey. He was the redeemer of the world and was sold for 30 pieces of silver. And in him was life. And he became obedient unto death. That's why Holy Week is different from any other week. That's why on Monday, Thursday, when we gather around the communion table, we will be reminded that his body was broken for us, his blood was shed for us, very God of very God, sacrificed for our sin. Now you may be here this morning and saying, Richard, I wasn't honestly expecting this this morning. I thought we'd focus on the children and the donkey and celebrate Palm Sunday. But I wasn't ready for this. But I think I have a better grasp and sense of the significance of Palm Sunday. But Richard, here is what I need. I need something to take away with me this week. Don't just explain what Matthew has already written, don't just explain the historical and cultural context. Give me something I can take away with me this morning. Give me something I can hold on to. Give me a challenge. Give me something to do. Well, let me suggest this. That as we begin this Holy Week, and move towards Thursday and Friday, that you spend your days in these last eight chapters of Mark's gospel. Be proactive in your relationship with Christ. Carve time out each day of this Holy Week. Open up the scriptures. Read them for yourself afresh. Immerse yourself in them. Don't rush through them. Don't speed read them. Don't put them on a list which you can take off at the weekend, but Spend time in his presence, wanting to know him, longing to go to that deeper place. And in your mind's eye, go and stand in the shadows of the temple. Listen to his teaching to the disciples. He teaches a number of parables in that last week. Watch him as he overturns the table of the money changers. Listen to him, arguing with the Pharisees and Sadducees and saying to them, Woe to you, blind Pharisee! You think you have it all together, but God in his wonder and grace is about to bring to pass his sovereign purpose and redemptive plans for all of humanity. And you are arguing over how far to walk on the Sabbath day. Listen, pay attention. Immerse yourself in what took place this week. Come afresh, Father, teach me, renew me, begin with me, let my soul soar heavenward. Because when you do, and when you're there, you will never ask, is this Thursday, Good Friday? Because you will know, you will have spent time with the Master, and you will feel his regenerating and renewing spirit. That's what's going on here. That's why Holy Week is uncomfortable for us and it unnerves us and it should, it should. Let's pray together. Father, enable us, please as we draw our service to a close this morning, to leave with hearts and minds and souls stirred up, recognizing that you, the Savior of the world, have come into this world for such as us. Deal with us deeply, comprehensively, every area of our lives, and enable us, please, to recalibrate and retune our deepest affections we would spend this week with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you need prayer for something or someone in your life? First Presbyterian Church offers a prayer service each Tuesday evening at 7 o'clock. Our prayer ministers will quietly intercede for you or anyone you're representing who needs prayer.